Lord Jesus Christ, open your word to our hearts. Open our hearts to your word. What we do not know, teach us. What we are not, make us. For your name's sake. Amen. Have you ever pondered what it was that in the early centuries allowed Christianity to spread and make progress in such an all-powerful state like the Roman Empire? Listen to the words of Tertullian as he describes the early Christian community in his Apology, written in the year 197. On the monthly day, if he likes, each puts in a small donation, but only if it be his pleasure, and only if he be able. For there is no compulsion, all is voluntary. These gifts are not spent on feasts and drinking bouts and eating houses, but to support and bury poor people, to supply the wants of boys and girls destitute of means and parents, and of old parents, persons confined now to the house, such too as have suffered shipwreck, and if there happen to be any in the mines, are banished to the islands, or shut up in prisons, for nothing but their fidelity to the cause of God's church, they become the nurslings of their confession. These kind of practices described by Tertullian had already been established in the early years of the Christian community. After the Holy Spirit descended on the believers at Pentecost, we are told that their lives were transformed, such that all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. In this way, early Christians became known for their generosity, care for the poor, the sick, widows, the disadvantaged, even slaves. The early church provided for the needy and practiced hospitality. Altogether, these activities were extraordinary acts of generosity that had an, an impact not just on the followers of the way, but on the wider society. Generosity of this kind and practiced in this way is a fruit of the Spirit, and I have three preliminary observations to make about it. First, generosity is an attribute of God's character. Whether we translate it as goodness or as generosity, we are talking about a quality of God's character, one that is consistent and dependable. Put simply, God is good, and all that He does is good. Throughout Scripture, God is seen as the source of all good. The Psalm 119 affirms, you, God, are good, and what you do is good. It surely means that God has a benevolent disposition towards us and seeks to bless and prosper us. It is from this attribute of God's goodness that blessings emanate. Second, the Holy Spirit acts to impart this divine attribute of generosity to us. God in Jesus Christ has been extravagantly generous to us. The generosity of God was supremely manifested on the cross. God's act of salvation towards us in Jesus Christ, a supreme giving of himself on our behalf. That fact should evoke in us an attitude of praise, worship, and gratitude expressed in acts of generosity to others. 
But as with all the fruits of the Spirit, we cannot of ourselves bring this result about in our lives. We can try very hard, and some good may ensue, but it is only when the Holy Spirit works in us that true generosity happens. Paul recognizes that only through God's power can believers show such a virtue. He writes, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. The works of the flesh, such as selfishness, in this case the opposite of generosity, are the result of our fallen sinful natures. They are things we do naturally when left to our own devices. In contrast, the fruit of the Spirit are what result when the Spirit acts in us, for in our own strength we cannot bring them about in the way they are intended. The fruit of generosity is one that bespeaks God's benevolence towards us, one which, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can emulate. Third, generosity happens when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We are not passive participants. We cannot assume that the fruit of generosity will be produced automatically. We have to position ourselves and prepare ourselves so that the work of the Spirit can take place. The believer should cooperate with the Spirit who wants to bring our lives to fruition. In Philippians, we are instructed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. We do not give birth to it ourselves, but the fruit grows as we respond to the Spirit's work. We may be hindering such work, on the other hand. Clearly, if we are indulging in the works of the flesh, and here we can point to selfishness as the fleshly opposite of generosity, expressed in our entire life, attitudes, and daily choices. We, if we do so, we are not preparing ourselves for receiving the fruit of the Spirit. We need to be active and cooperative, not passive or hindering. So if we recognize the generosity or goodness is an attribute of God's character that is imparted to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, what then does that generosity look like? I'm not going to itemize all the different ways one can exercise generosity of resources, gifts, service, attention, or time in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is something each one of us can readily deduce and apply from our own context and involvements. What I am going to do is list some basic principles for that exercising of generosity. One, generosity should be extravagant. Like the woman who poured out the expensive jar of perfume on Jesus' head. Or as C.S. Lewis said, there is no excess of goodness. You cannot go too far in the right direction. Number two, generosity should be spontaneous rather than cautious, calculating, or measured. This is what is meant when Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver. Three, generosity should be sacrificial, not done out of duty, guilt, or convenience. Remember the poor widow making a contribution to the temple treasury, as told by Jesus. Many rich people threw in a large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. 
I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. Four, generosity should be anonymous. Giving anonymously is likely the best way of preserving the dignity of the receiver and avoiding dependency. Where this is not possible, it should be done without display. Thus we are told in Scripture, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets, to be honored by men. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Five, generosity should be done not expecting anything in return. As Jesus instructs, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Or look at the gifts given by the Magi that were not expected but were given in appreciation and as an expression of worship. Six, generosity should extend beyond those we love or those who love us. Jesus tells us, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Seven, generosity should address actual needs and should be grounded in prayer. Say, for example, if you're in a situation with someone who is difficult to get on with, someone who is hard to like. This is a person who is demanding, interfering, selfish, and critical of all you do. This person drives you to distraction. How does generosity or goodness apply as a fruit of the Spirit in this situation? You try to pray about it, but to no avail. And when you are asked what you pray for, you say something like, I don't pray for this person, I pray for myself, that I might have greater generosity and patience with them. The point is that the focus of prayer should not have been on yourself and your ability to cope and show generosity of spirit. Rather, it should have been entirely on the other person. There's no better way to show generosity towards someone than to pray for them. It is impossible to be selfish and ungenerous to someone if only a short time before we were asking God to show his grace towards them. Jesus told us to love our enemies and to do good to those that hate us. Doing good means being generous, generous with our prayer. What all these have in common is that the virtue of generosity, like any of the fruit of the Spirit, will not grow and strengthen on, in us unless there is someone or some situation that will test it and cause it to grow. There's a kind of militancy or radicalism in all these approaches to generosity, such that we can speak about exercising generosity, just like we speak of exercising patience. It means to stretch and train ourselves to go beyond what the call of the flesh, in this case selfishness, does to pull us down. But let's be clear about it. Such acts of generosity are not a means of earning our salvation. 
for we are justified by grace alone through faith alone. Yet, in response to God's saving action in our lives, we perform acts of goodness and generosity. As we are assured in Ephesians, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if we have our principles right, and we know that generosity is an attribute of God which the Holy Spirit imparts to us, a process we actively cooperate in, what then is the ultimate end of all this generosity? I believe there are two aspects to it. First, ourselves. So when you get one on the list of the fruit, you are likely to get the others. Though this may take a lifetime of the Holy Spirit's work in you. We can't have joy without expressions of goodness or generosity. Joy comes from acts of generosity. If you are kind, then you are likely to be good or generous, and to love is to give, and so on with the other fruit. The second aspect is to do with our neighbor. The purpose of our generous acts is not merely to alleviate the needs of our neighbor, who is anyone in need materially, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. It is not merely to attain some degree of ethical or virtuous conduct that the early Christians would have been familiar with in the Greco-Roman world. It is that, but it is surely more. By modeling the goodness of God to others, we do so in ways that will draw them to Christ. In conclusion, hear these words of St. Paul. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. In the power of the Holy Spirit, so may it be with us also. Amen.